Welcome, welcome, and welcome. And if you're returning, welcome back. This is the DC Comics News, Spinner Rack, episode number 21. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. It's time to travel over to that interdimensional Spinner Rack floating somewhere between the spaces of our reality and holding all the comic books published this week from DC Comics. It's a magical place, and it's only the beginning of our journey. I'm going to go ahead and share with you the five books that I chose that I feel are the best coming out from DC Comics this week. I'm going to include what's going on, my favorite moments, least favorite moments if they happen to be there, and my score out of five. And at the end, I'm going to share with you a few ways that you can let me know if you have a different book or a different score. Stick around to the end to hear all about how. Let's go ahead and get things started with my first book, and we're going to kick things off with Justice League number 29. I'm really enjoying this book. I really feel like every issue seems to suggest this new idea, and it builds upon what we've already had established in the issues preceding, but with each new development, it feels like it's a brand new story inside of a story that feels so new already. I'm happy to give credit to the amazing writing team of Scott Snyder and James Tynan IV. They're joined by Bruno Redondo on art, hi-fi handling the colors, Tom Napolitano on the letters, Francis Manipal on the cover, and Terry Dodson and Rachel Dodson handling the variant cover. Speaking of those covers, The first one is a great homage to one of the earliest Justice League covers I can remember, the team fighting Starro, and a really fun variant featuring the Trinity with this sort of golden sunlight, daylight background. It's really reminiscent of some of the earliest moments I have of these three heroes together. What's going on is that the team is constantly seeking out new ways that it can try to find a way to get either ahead of or at least at pace with the Legion of Doom who are preparing to change the world and the universe. Have you ever tried building a world? I think it's extremely difficult and whenever I've tried the moments that I've succeeded have felt hard fought and hard won. And in this issue the writing team of Tynan and Snyder are doing some amazing world building starting out with the concept of our universe as a jar and the pockets that can be formed within what would be thought of as a finite space. And in those pockets, how abnormalities can occur. And one of those is O-worlds. And how most of the O-worlds, because of the severity of their abnormalities, usually fall apart. But one, one survived. One known as O-world. One that was violent and unpredictable. And eventually gave birth to Star-O. Star-O was a universe conquering figure who has recently taken on a more enjoyable form of Jaro and it's really the heart of this story Jaro trying to invade the Legion of Doom to bring about their downfall and stop Lex Luthor Jaro who is a reflection of the heroic act performed by Starro who took on one of those amazingly powerful figures during Justice League No Justice and suffered a tragic death. Jaro is the positive side of the world conquering <laughs> Starro. 
And Jaro appears in this awesome Robin outfit talking about how he's going to go ahead and just take out the Legion of Doom. And he's upgraded simple things like batarangs and turned them into extremely powerful weapons. And I'd like to give a quick shout out to my good friend Steve J. Ray, who mentions in a scene that follows and gave it a lot of praise on Twitter, the idea of wrapping up what the main storyline has been in a series of no more than about eight panels. Sorry, even less than that. (laughs) Six panels, as I do a quick recount. And those six panels reveal everything that had led up to now, what the desirable objects are that can bring about a monumental change, who is leading those charges, and eventually what the Justice League is trying to do to stop them. It's a really impressive recap that feels like, as Steve J. Ray pointed out, a perfect jumping on point for anyone who has not been able to keep up with the story to this point. Jaro is amazing as he takes on the Legion of Doom and begins picking them apart. And just when it seems like he's defeated, the Justice League shows up and there's this beautiful heartfelt moment where Jaro sees Batman and cries out, Dad, the way a child would, the heartwarming way that I think anyone who has ever seen a a father-son or parent-child relationship can recognize the heartfelt desire and recognition when the one person you want to see the most suddenly arrives. And the next thing he follows up with is, Dad, did I do okay? (laughs) To which Batman says, okay, you found the Hall of Doom. That's something that the rest of the heroes had been unable to do. Now this heartfelt moment takes a twist when Jaro comes to grips with the fact that he's seen a future where the Justice League loses, falls to Lex Luthor. And in a hope of protecting them, Jaro expands into his massive, violent, aggressive Starro form and takes control of everyone present, Legion of Doom, who he then leaves off to the side, and the Justice League. And he wants to take them off to his homeworld so he can keep them safe. But Batman won't let him do that. Batman tells him that there's no way that this can happen. And Starro knows that there's this violent side to him. And it's something that he wants to use for good to help them instead of being twisted by the Legion of Doom. But Batman is the one who calms him down and tells him that because he's afraid of losing Jaro, he knows that the League and the team will win. It's a really beautiful story that starts with this massive idea of the O-Worlds and Starro, and then brings it closer to home with Jaro, and then even closer to home with the parent-child relationship between Batman and Jaro. It's really quite lovely, and I enjoyed every moment of this issue. I thought the art was so masterful. I really thought that the team did an amazing job of capturing the reflection of light, the dark, wild, sort of murky wonder of the Star and O worlds, the ominous feeling of the Legion of Doom and their headquarters, and really the, the heartfelt compassion that exists between Batman and Jaro. If there was any sort of negative that I would point to in this book, story, or art, I'm going to be honest, it didn't really make sense to me after Jaro released control of the Justice League how it is that the Legion of Doom had actually escaped. It it just didn't make sense to me, and I spent a, a few times going over the last two pages just trying to figure out what I had missed. And I'm going to be honest right now, there are a few developments that feel like they fall more on the side of spoilers. 
and I would rather allow you to enjoy those if you get the chance, and I recommend that you do, picking up Justice League issue number 29. Those developments are great hints and teasers for developing the story into the next issue and the overall story at large. And it's one of the reasons why I'm happy to give this book a solid 5 out of 5. I love starting off an episode like this. I love knowing that there's going to be such great examples of great comics following this one when you know the introduction is something like a 5 out of 5. Great work, great art great story. Can't wait to come back to you with more about Justice League number 30, because if they keep this pace, I don't see them falling off the spinner rack anytime soon. The second book I'm happy to pull from the DC Comics News spinner rack and share with you this week is Harley Quinn number 64. And I really love this book. I love the fact that it's so self-aware and that the story being told here by Sam Humphreys is so wonderfully mocking when it comes to the year event, year end event, summer event, big crossover event, however you wish to term define year of the villain, which is the DC comic event currently uh, occurring, progressing, developing, taking over DC comics. And Humphreys does a great job of using Harley sort of poke a bit of fun, a bit of self-awareness that everything about these giant crossovers is promoted to be wonderful and great for fans. And yet there's a bit of a contrast in the way that Harley responds to all of those what should be either accepted norms or promoted ideas. Joining Humphreys on this story is artist Sam Bosry, colors by Jessica Colin and Hi-Fi. I hope I said Jessica's name right. Please let me know if I didn't. Letters by Steve Wands with a cover by Guillaume March and Arif Priano and a variant cover by Frank Cho. want to make sure that sounds and pronounces correctly. And Sabine Rich. The story starts out sadly in a hospital room where Harley is dealing with her mother who's dying and fighting for time as much as Harley is fighting for a chance to spend more time with her. Of course, Lex Luthor has arrived with his offer, which has been part of the developing Year of the Villain storyline. And we get a chance to see super extreme, super modified and evolved or advanced Harlequin. And I love that her response is to yawn and sort of point out that this is the big universe spanning event, as she calls it. And then claims that Lex is going from door-to-door hawking trinkets, special powers. And then she makes fun of his outfit, which is really kind of (laughs) cute. She says, he looks like a septic tank threw up in a bed bath and beyond. That's a pretty rough burn. And Lex doesn't take it well. But his persistence is something that Harley doesn't take well. And after she smashes his drone bot... She tries to engage with a comic book with her mom, in which, thankfully, Harley is still acting out in the same way. And Harley decides that she doesn't want to be part of this story. So her character begins moving into other storylines and crossing over, much like the year of the villain event does, and much like any major event does, crosses into other titles. So first she heads over into Gotham, which currently is under the city of Bane. 
clothes have been outlawed. And this is demonstrated with a naked penguin running up to Harley, who looks off to the reader or the artist and says, really, you couldn't have had Selena all naked rushing at me? Because, you know, that probably would have been a cooler sight. But not as cool as Naked Bane dropping down, twisting clothes up in his hands and breaking them over his knee, much like he once did with Batman in Nightfall. Lex is still there, chasing Harley, offering the death of the Joker, and Harley just really wants all of it to go away. Interspliced with Harley jumping from Lois and Clark as undercover agents in Spiral and into other universes and worlds is the story of Harley's mother passing away and her time in a hospital bed and breaks in the story where family arrive or she gets a chance to cross over into another part of the DC universe like say Justice League Dark only to return back to the environment of her mom's hospital room and more people and more people continue to fill the room with her with her mom crowding out a little bit about what should be a personal time between the two of them but also reflecting how Harley continues to evade and avoid the offer from Lex Luthor. It comes to a crux when Lex even offers Harley the opportunity to save her mother's life. But she's reading this all in her comic book, and that offer is only made in the comic book. Harley, sitting alone by her mother's bedside, is left to wonder what the decision will be and what decision she would make as she sits there watching her mom suffer, powerless to do anything about it, and forced to question whether or not she's made the right choice, or if she will make the right choice, should Lex continue making his offer. There's one final scene that features well, something that I think should be experienced by the reader, not trying to be vague or mysterious here, but I do believe it is something that's uh, more on the spoiler side and something I'd rather for uh, readers to experience for themselves or on their own instead of having me interpret it or create any sort of anticipation for you. Really beautiful storytelling here by Mr. Humphreys. Really great combination of the sort of dark and difficult experience that anyone has experienced if they've visited a loved one in a hospital and what it can be like trying to escape from that painful reality. And the way that really so perfectly this writing and art team jumps between the fantastical of the comic book and superhero world and quickly back into the reality that is so perfectly captured and reflected both through shading, lighting, colors, and tone. It's my pleasure to give Harley Quinn number 64 a solid 5 out of 5. I love this book for the way that it was so self-aware and so exquisite in its demonstration of that self-awareness. I'm a newer reader to Harley Quinn, and her recent storyline, while fun, had not been the most enjoyable for me simply because of its peaks and valleys. This book was nothing but 
a rising peak, and I feel it is continuing on an upward trajectory, one that I'm really looking forward to enjoying, and one that I am more than happy to share with you. I'm looking forward to hearing if your score is any different, or if you have any thoughts you'd like to share with me about Harley Quinn number four and its place here on the DC Comics News Spinner Ref. That was our second choice, which means we need to take a quick break, because it's important to pay the bills, and ads are one of the best ways we can do it. We've got a short ad break, and we'll be coming back to you with choices three, four, and five from the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. Thanks for hanging out. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. I'm here to tell you about the DC Comics News Podcast, here every week to talk everything DC, movies, TV, comics, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Regardless, you can catch us on every kind of podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher, and everywhere you find great podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. (laughs) (laughs) No. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's D-C-N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com slash tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. And we're back after that short ad break. Ready to move right into my third choice from the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. And that's going to be Batman number 76. Batman 76 is part two of the City of Bane storyline by Tom King. And it features the amazing art team of Tony S. Daniel on pencils, Daniel Sandu Florea, and Norm Ratman on the inks. Tomu Mori on the colors with Clayton Cowles on the letters Daniel and Mori on the cover and Gabriel Del Otto on the variant cover. I hope I said all those names right. I think I hope that every time. Batman 76 City of Bane Part 2 continues with creating the environment that was introduced in Batman number 75. It's a new Gotham One where Bane is taking complete control, partnered with villains, and even made a deal with Lex Luthor to keep not only superheroes, but the government out of Gotham. Essentially, as long as Gotham is safe in the eyes of the world, and Lex Luthor can tout its not only safety, but his involvement in establishing the ruling party, Bane or whatever name he chooses to use to reflect this accomplishment. 
is no longer a place where superheroes can visit or when any outside influence can impact what Bane has created. Great cover featuring Bane just sort of tossing Batman around. It reminds me a little bit of the Nightfall cover from back in the 90s, The Breaking of the Bat, and yet it feels so very different and the perspective is a lot of fun. The variant cover I really enjoyed Batman in this sort of shadow with just a bit of light falling down the right side of his face, shoulder, arm, and torso, and it appears to be something dripping from his clenched fist and hand. I really enjoyed the way the story opens with Catwoman stealing, as usual, and Captain Adam attempting to enter Gotham, learning very painfully that Gotham Girl is no one to mess with, and that despite his reputation as an extremely powerful superhero, when the fight is over, he is lying in his hospital bed, begging Robin, Damian Wayne, not to go into Gotham, telling him to run. This is mirrored by Kite Man and Tweedledee and Tweedledum running away from the Grim Knight and failing to escape despite Kite Man's attempt to help. Only Kite Man and Scarecrow actually survive. And they make it to Kite Man's Kite House, Kite Fortress of Solitude, Kite Cave, Kite Place. And it's no match for the Grim Knight or the consequences. And it really feels like so much about City of Bane Part 2 is about establishing the feeling that all bits of hope or resistance against Bane are failing. This is all brought to a poignant reflection between Damian Wayne and Tim Drake, both in Robin costumes, talking on a rooftop about the fact that they're prevented from entering Gotham, not only after what happened to Captain Adam, who Damien refers to as a world-class stooge, and who Tim defends as a world-class hero, but actually this problem is closer to home, because it's revealed that any member of the Bat family who enters Gotham will bring about the immediate death of Alfred. And there's a degree of frustration and confusion and even hopelessness, reflecting and mirroring the hopelessness felt by Kite Man and Scarecrow when they're finally caught by the Grim Knight. And during all of this is also the story of Catwoman, who has been attempting to nurse Bruce Wayne back to health, or even life. And in every moment that she's interacting with him, he's simply passed out on her couch in a place in Paris where she's stealing enough merchandise to raise the money to help take care of him. And there's this feeling of waiting and of the frustration that comes with waiting. And I think it's really building some impressive degrees of tension. Degrees that Tom King has pointed out will be carrying through, I believe, all the way up into issue number 85. How much more tension, how much more strain can these characters take? It's going to be a really interesting journey to find out. The art team does a great job of supporting this amazing story. The close-ups of so many different characters, from the Robins to the Grim Knight and Scarecrow, Selina, 
and Bruce, each one capturing the feeling, the emotion on their faces. It's really difficult, actually, when Captain Adam, who just looks like he's been through 10 rounds in a championship heavyweight fight, is talking to Damien about how he needs Damien to stay away and how that girl is tougher than anything he's ever fought. It's going to be interesting to see what other levels and degrees are taken in this story, but I love the way that this story is elevated by amazing art that reflects the power and the impact of the City of Bay, part two. This was a really solid issue. Okay, I'm going to be honest, this will be my third five out of five, and I'm feeling a little bit funny about it, even as I say it out loud. If you think I'm spot on, love to hear your support. But if you think you have a different score from me, I'd really like to hear that too. My score, again, five out of five for Batman number 76, my third choice for the DC Comics News, Spinner Rack. My fourth choice for the DC Comics News, Spinner Rack, is Green Lantern, number 10, featuring 12 parallel worlds and 12 Green Lanterns. I really enjoyed this story. I thought it was so much fun. And it was really just Grant Morrison doing so many of the things that Grant Morrison does well. Taking an idea like the Green Lantern and spinning out all these variations. So, so very many variations. Um, He's matched up again with his uh, teammate on the art side, Liam Sharp. And that's really... About all I can say about the team on this one, unfortunately, my review copy doesn't include the full credits team, and I'm going to keep it right now just to Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp. I know they've got uh, other people working with them to support that team, but without a complete list of names, I don't want to do a disservice by only including a few and not including others, so I'll go ahead and just point out the two main members, which is Grant and Liam. This story is, again, what I really love about Grant Morrison, the way he can take so many variations on a character and then build a world around them, whether it's the uh, flashlight weapon of Hank Hallmark, sorry as I struggled to get that one out of my mouth, and the Custodians of the Cosmos in Earth-36, or if it's Earth-47 and the Magic Lantern, or if it's the Batman version, otherwise known as, well, I think you can tell me if you happen to know who the Batman, Green Lantern, on Earth-32 is. Not trying to create any teasers, but at some point, if I get too wrapped up in who all of these characters are, I'm never going to get to the story, which is why they're all coming together. Something that reflects back to the previous issue when Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, was working with Abinsur on Earth-Zero and stepped away from a cast of characters who were in something of a mythic quest to join Abinsur in fighting a creature who was threatening not only that reality, but all realities. This is a a wonderful jaunt that starts with the joining of these guardians of the multiverse and the way that they seem to not quite get along, especially Magic Lantern and his hippie-groovy stony self 
and the Batman Lantern, who points out during one of their scenes together that he simply doesn't approve of weed, and that that's not really something Magic Lantern wants to hear right now. The team takes out the monster, and I'm able to recognize that I've just found that credit page I was looking for. (laughs) It's a little bit humbling when you have moments like this. Supporting Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp to do all this great storytelling. Steve Olaf on the colors. Tom Orzachowski on the letters. Carr Andrews with the variant cover. Thanks for letting me sneak that in, guys. The story continues after defeating the great threat to the verse and casting it into the dark multiverse where the team gathers together in a place between dimensions to discuss why green lanterns from all across the multiverse have begun to disappear unraveling this puzzle points to the many earths and how one specifically earth 15 has been off limits and is a place that they need to explore. In doing so, they come across another Green Lantern with a very old style, almost gas lantern that I would recognize from the turn of the century. And by that I should be more specific, the turn of the 19th into the 20th century. And the revelation that the history of Earth-15 is one that is dark, ominous, and threatens this newly formed Guardians of the Multiverse. The story is wonderfully told and perfectly supported by the amazing art team. There are even more characters who I haven't referenced, who many of which were introduced way back in issue number nine, and who are briefly referenced in this issue, continuing to build on not only the world and story building, I really enjoyed myself reading this, talking about it, sharing it with you. However, The hardest part, I think, is understanding that while it's so much fun to see these characters, not knowing exactly who they are and going through the history to figure out who they are created a bit more process. And perhaps for those who aren't able to do that kind of deep investigation or research, not knowing who these characters are, what they mean, or what their importance might be in the history of DC Comics, could be something that keeps them from fully engaging with this story and this book as a whole. It's a curiosity that makes me wonder just how well it's addressing all fans who might pick up this title, or if it's not worried about them because it knows the fans it is reaching are the ones that it really cares about. I think for that reason, this is the one that won't be a 5 out of 5. My score for The Green Lantern number 10 is actually going to be a 4 out of 5. I thought this book did a lot of things well. It's a lot of things that I really liked, and yet not providing those great world-building moments that I've seen in Justice League 29 and other books that could have informed the story just a little bit more prevents it from being something that could have become a 5 out of 5 on my list. And I think might be one of the reasons why not as many readers can just jump right on. And for my fifth and final choice, I'm wrapping things up with Lois Lane, number two, Enemy of the People, part two. 
Lois Lane number one was featured on the spinner rack, and I really enjoyed everything that it offered. My only question after reading it is how can you keep up such a great introduction? The best answer is issue number two, which I think does a wonderful job of this. And when I was in the comic book shop picking up my issue of Lois Lane number one, I really loved that the uh, person behind the counter who I was talking with pointed out that so much of what made this book really sing and shine are the things that Greg Rucka loves to write about and the things he loves to include in his stories. And anyone who's been a fan of his work will recognize this. And it's something that I wanted to point out because Greg Rucka's writing and storytelling really make issue two an amazing experience. And I think he gets great support from Mike Perkins on, well, art and the cover. Paul Mounts providing additional colors with Simon Bolin on the letters and Nicola Scott handling the variant cover. Takes a team to make a comic book, and this team does a great job of carrying through in issue number two of The Promise that was made <laughs> in issue number one. Sorry for the hesitation, but sometimes following up the word promise can be a tricky exercise in language. The impact of Lois's stories and her actions as a reporter and as a human being are reflected in a sort of, not quite parody, but reflection or model of the View television show on this episode of the TV show in this issue, the perspective, the characters are talking about Lois Lane, whether or not she's cheating on Clark Kent with Superman, if they're estranged, and whether or not the other members of the cast of the perspective have Superman on their list as someone it's okay with their spouse that they cheat on them with. This is all backstory and periphera that doesn't inform the main story. And it's what Lois points out to her cleaning lady, who is someone she can talk to honestly, and someone who feels that the person she's cleaning up after is getting a raw deal. Lois Lane is too busy focusing on the big story. This is something she tells not only to her housekeeper, but later when she clandestinely meets with Clark. The bigger story includes what happened to a reporter in Moscow, and why is it? that a team of questions are only able to uncover bits of information at a time, all of it obscured and deflecting from the fact that this reporter, who is known for uncovering truths, revealed too much, got too close to a story, and lost her life. This isn't an accident. This is something that's confirmed by Rene Montoya in a question mask. And later in a bar, sitting down with Lois, she explains that this was a crime. But the main message that Montoya wants to get across to Lois is that the reporter, Voronova, was an example. And this example is something that Lois needs to pay attention to. Men broke into her place, she resisted, and there's a good chance she was still alive when she was thrown from her building in a story that's been reported to the news as a suicide. Montoya wants Lois to be more careful, to be aware of the risks that she's taking. 
And Lois's response to that is to immediately go after someone involved in the story that got her kicked out of the White House press room last issue, a story about gifts made by organizations like LexCore, headed by Lex Luthor, and the response to those gifts, which was the awarding of contracts to those companies to build private holding facilities for immigrants and other detainees who were being brought in from the border. Lois gets enough in her story to send something off to Perry White and check in with him before trying to follow back on her lead, only to learn after she has agreed to meet with him at a location that he's chosen with Montoya secretly there as backup that this is an assassination attempt, one that takes out her contact, this man, Agar, and the information he was willing to reveal after Lois had put the screws to him, and potentially an attempt on Lois as well, one that's prevented by Montoya. The story's only getting deeper, and the intrigue continues to thicken. Lois is putting herself in dangerous situations, that Montoya has even questioned whether or not it might be helpful to have her friend in a cape be her backup for, to which Lois points out that that's not the way their relationship works. She takes risks, she puts herself in danger, she gets the story. And when there's ever a moment that she can't get out of, Superman is able to come in then. But as long as she feels that she's got control of the situation, it's Lois's call, and it's one that Superman needs to stay out of. With so much going on, it's a wonder how much longer he's going to be able to stay out of this story. Because really, it's been so much fun watching Lois continue to dig, continue to push, continue to find, and continue to create. There's this very dark and shadowy world that Lois exists in. And the corners of it feel ominous, scary, and something that most of us, certainly I, wouldn't make a choice to pursue. But it's something she's chosen to do because she believes that she's one of those people who has the tenacity to uncover the important truths that people need to learn. And I think she's a great example of the best of what reporters can be. I love that she is considered in many ways to be the counterpart to Superman, who is always given as the example of what we all want and hope we could be. And yet here's Lois Lane the reporter that all reporters are capable of being, and perhaps a reflection of many of those who are already doing such great things like this. I really enjoyed Lois Lane number two. I felt like it kept the promise that was made in issue number one, and for this reason, I'm more than happy to give it a solid five out of five. This is really great storytelling with great art to reflect and enhance the experience for all readers. And one that if you're not reading, I hope you pick up because I see it having a continued future right here on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. This has been the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, episode number 21. I've been your host, Seth Singleton, and this brings our episode to a close. Now, I do want to go ahead and leave you off with a little bit of information. First off, As I mentioned, what's important to me is not my score as much as it is what your score is as well. And you can always share that with me and us here at DC Comics News 
on your favorite form of social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, or YouTube. All you have to do is use the at symbol and DC Comics News. That's capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N, E-W-S. When it comes to listening, sharing, DC Comics News Podcast, and the Spinner Rack, you can find us on all the major podcast platforms, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play. If you haven't already, please head over, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, rate and review, and I'd even encourage you to share. Remember, you've got that at DC Comics tag that you can use. I think we're five stars, but if you think differently, I'd love to hear why, and more importantly, your review. And a quick reminder, if you're listening to the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, don't forget every week to check out the DC Comics News Podcast, where an amazing roundtable sits down to share, discuss, and debate the big topics in DC Comics Entertainment, and to also look forward to an upcoming new podcast broadcast brought by Steve J. Ray, which is an in-depth look at Batman the Animated Series. He's got a great team, and we've got a great editor in Josh Rayner, so you know it's going to be a great show. Subscribe now to the DC Comics News Podcast on your favorite platform so you don't miss out. And, as we always say at the end of every episode, whether on the DC Comics News Podcast or right here on the Spinner Rack, always remember to read more comics. Thanks for joining us, folks. Can't wait to hang out with you next time right here on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. See you then.